All right, guys, you are locked on Falcons. I'm your host, Aaron Freeman. And today we're taking a deeper look in sort of how the Falcons look at athleticism and the testing at the scouting combine. You are locked on Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So, guys, you know me. I'm Aaron Freeman. Been covering the Falcons for many years. I'm on Twitter at Falcfans, and of course, the host of this world-renowned Locked On Falcons podcast, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, here on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In today's podcast, you know, following up on the conversation we had with the. New York Daily News beat writer Charles McDonald about the value of the combine and Charles sort of touched on sort of the broad topics, but we're going to really take a deeper look into the athletic testing on today's episode and sort of looking at what drills, what athletic tests that you guys should be paying the most attention to when it comes to some of these prospects that you're going to watch work out this weekend and uh, what the Falcons have historically, at least under Dan Quinn, really valued. And we'll take a deeper look at sort of at sort of position specific things. Um, later on in the episode, we'll get into some running backs. We'll get into some tight end stuff uh, because I, I think those are good places to start the conversation. Since the tight ends did work out on yesterday's um, or yesterday during the scouting combine. So we can sort of really apply some actual testing to sort of maybe what the Falcons are looking for. But uh, let's sort of get into that overview in terms of what the Falcons really are sort of honed in on with the athleticism and the testing at the combine as your locked on Falcons lead story. So when it comes to the importance and value of the scouting combine, the medical testing and the interviews really take the forefront for NFL teams. And as my good friend, Charles McDonald said on Thursday's episode, athletic testing, isn't the most important thing for teams. They've watched hours of tape on all these guys for the most part. And so they have pretty good guesses on how athletic and you know, who is athletic, who is not. It's really more about checking boxes for NFL teams, but occasionally some players will overperform or underperform and it will force teams to have to go back and dig into the film to see what they missed. But when you start to dig into what the Falcons have in terms of their draft patterns, they do tend to value athleticism a little bit more. It's not 100% based off of tape. When you look back at the 32 draft picks since Dan Quinn took over in 2015, and one of the things I did was create an Excel spreadsheet and look at player heights, weights, arm length, hand size, 40-yard dash time, 10-yard dash time, bench press, vertical and broad jumps, short shuttle and three-cone times, and you start to see some patterns emerge. And if there's sort of one overarching narrative and pattern for the Falcons, at least for how they evaluate, they put a lot of emphasis on the 40-yard dash and the broad jump. All but four of their 31 draft picks that participated in the 40-yard dash finished in the 48th percentile or higher respective to their positions, meaning that 87% of the Falcons draft picks over the last five years have average or at least above average speed when measured by the 40-yard dash. All but five of their 31 picks that participated in the broad jump finished in the 50th percentile or higher at their respective position. Again, that's 84% that were average or above average. The broad jump is a metric that 
typically teams like to correlate to explosiveness, especially in the lower body. And particularly when you apply that to say like trench players, that's where you're really talking about their ability to come off the ball, exploding out of their stance, whether they're an offensive lineman or a defensive lineman. And when you compare the 40 in the, in the broad to other drills, prominent drills like the three cone drill, which is supposed to evaluate change of direction and agility. When you look at the Falcons history, 17 of their 29 picks that participated in three cone finished with an average or above average in terms of percentile. So that's about 59%. 18 of their 28 picks that participated in the bench press were average or above average, again, about 64%. So for both drills, generally speaking, you have the majority, but more importantly, you have several players in those respective drills that tested particularly poorly, i.e. they finished in the 25th percentile or lower. For the three cone, nine out of 29 or 31% were in the 25th percentile or lower, meaning that they had poor change of direction skills for the bench press. It was 29%. And you compare that to say the 40 yard dash where 0% of the players that the Falcons have drafted have finished in the 25th percentile respective to their positions. Essentially the Falcons don't draft slow players. When you look at the broad jump, it's only about 13% finish in that bottom 25th percentile. It should be noted of course, that good athletes have a tendency to test well in a variety of drills and there is some overlap there. But it's very clear that when you look at the numbers and you really break it down, the Falcons do put special emphasis on two particular drills over the others. And that, of course, is the 40 yard dash and the broad jump. But of course, there are exceptions to that, as there are with all things. And we'll get into some of those exceptions, particularly when it comes to evaluating the individual positions coming up on today's episode. But it is draft. We are talking combine. Of course, there are three Draft-related podcasts that you can find on Lockdown Podcast Network, including the Lockdown NFL Draft Podcast, the Lockdown College Football Podcast, and, of course, the Draft Dudes Podcast on your favorite podcast platform, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. All three are part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. So when we look at the exceptions and talking about the athletic testing, let's look at the four guys that ran below average 40s. Again, as I just mentioned, no one ran particularly slow. We'll we'll get into it sort of it's relative, but no one was like super, super slow relative to their positions. And the four guys that were the exceptions, the four, the four guys that were part of that, you know, 13% of Falcon draft picks over the years that ran below average forties were Deidre Sinat, Quadri Allison, Keanu Neal, and Justin Hardy. And when you look at those four exceptions, the reason why they're exceptions makes perfect sense when you factor in what the Falcons were envisioning for their role. And in their cases, the Falcons didn't value their speed as much because they were looking for them to fulfill a specific role where they didn't value speed as much. Sorry to repeat myself. So looking at Sanat, he was in the 33rd percentile among interior defensive linemen in the 40-yard dash. But the Falcons wanted Sanat to be more of a run plugger than this really disruptive player. And so when you look at Sanat's other metrics, the two areas where he tested the best in were in terms of weight, where he was in the 75th percentile in the bench press, the 92nd percentile. So they didn't really value Sanat's sort of athleticism in terms of his speed, explosiveness, and agility like they would for someone like a Grady Jarrett because Sanat's job was being more of a run plugger than in the case of Jarrett being more of that disruptive presence on the defensive line. You look at Quadri Olison. He was in the 39th percentile in terms of the 40-yard dash, but they were looking for a power pack. So again, 
Olison's bench press, 48th percentile, was reasonably high. His size and his height were also high, 74th and 84th percentile, respectively. So he was a big physical running back because that's what they were looking for. And so they didn't really care that he didn't have that really explosive speed. Moving on to Keanu Neal, he ran a 4.6240, which was in the 27th percentile among safeties. But Keanu Neal's a box safety. And if you sort of uh, apply that 4.6240 to the linebacker position, he would have been in the 75th percentile for that position. And then you look at Neal's sort of elite broad jump. He was in the 96th percentile among safeties in the broad jump. And so the Falcons were really comfortable with his fit within the scheme as this sort of explosive box safety that had more than enough speed to run and make the plays closer to the line of scrimmage that he would like, you know, liken to being a linebacker. And also they're not really asking him to cover wide receivers where, you know, having four or five speed and four, four speed is a little bit more meaningful but he's covering tight ends where four, six, two is more than fast enough to cover the vast majority of tight ends in the league. Then you look at Justin Hardy, who was in the 29th percentile in terms of the 40 yard dash. So basically relative to his position, Justin Hardy is the slowest player the Falcons ever drafted. But here's the thing about Justin Hardy. Justin Hardy wasn't drafted to be a vertical threat. He was drafted to be a slot receiver and a chain mover. And basically they really liked his route running. And so when they were valuing when they drafted Hardy was his three cone. He had an elite three cone. He was in the 94th percentile in terms of three cone, that change of direction ability, that agility is something that the Falcons liken to that ability to run routes, get out of their breaks and create that sort of separation. And given what they were envisioning his role to be, he was a good fit, at least from an athletic standpoint in that regard. So when you take these testing numbers, don't just sort of look at it in a general sense. Ask yourself, OK, what do I believe that the Falcons want in this specific position and then apply whether or not these athletic tests make sense? So let's use the running back position, for example. What type of running back do the Falcons want? Now, sitting here today, my best guess is that they want someone with enough size where there won't be questions about their ability and their durability when it comes to being, being the lead tailback. So you're not going to probably see the Falcons particularly focus on Edo size, Edo Smith size running backs. So they're going to want guys that are a little bit bigger. How much bigger depends on the player, right? But basically you don't want to have size being that guy's biggest question mark, I think, moving forward. So you're going to see guys that are going to have, you know, average to above average size maybe, or at least not bottom level size, like it was in the case of Edo Smith. So they might be in like the 38th percentile, but you know, Edo I think was like in the 10th percentile or something like that. But anyway, you're probably going to see a running back that is a little bit more explosive because that is a big knock in a big area where many people, including myself, feel like Devonte Freeman is not the same player that he was. And so you're going to see them probably put a little bit more emphasis on the 40, on the broad jump, those types of explosive drills, the vertical jump as well. I also think the Falcons, because of the question marks surrounding Devontae Freeman's future, are going to want someone who has a potential to impact in the passing game. Um, and because we know that Brian Hill and Quadri Wallace and Edo Smith are unproven and or have question marks and inconsistency when it comes to pass protection. We know the big reason why the Falcons didn't trade Devontae Freeman at the midpoint was up to that point. He was the only proven pass protector that they had. And while Hill made some gains in the second half of the season. Once Ito went down and started taking more of those reps, he was still very inconsistent. We didn't really get a lot of opportunities to see Allison play there, but he also struggled. 
during the preseason in that regard. So that's going to be a big part of this conversation at the running back position, particularly if they do cut Devontae Freeman, where they're going to want somebody who's going to come in and be able to come in right away and compete to be that pass protecting and be that third down. But in order to have value on third downs, it's not just about blocking. You have to be able to catch passes because again, as many people will be quick to note in order to sort of diminish the value of Devonte Freeman's blocking is that he only spent a small percentage of the plays that he had on passing downs actually blocking because basically the way that the Falcons operate their offense. And a lot of teams operate their offenses. The running back only stays in the pass protect. If he needs to, if, if the defense isn't bringing extra rushers that are unaccounted for by the offensive line, then a running back's going to release into the flat and be a check down option for the team. So again, that sort of pass protection as well as pass catching ability goes hand in hand. Now here's the problem. There's not an athletic test that says, Hey man, you're a great pass catching running back, but, but generally speaking, you want a guy, typically guys that are quicker and faster tend to be more valuable as pass catchers because they can catch the ball and make plays in space rather than guys that are sort of big stiff guys like an Olison. So I, again, I think that points to, explosiveness and particularly in this case agility drills like the short shuttle like the three cone where the falcons are going to value guys that they're going to want guys that are going to test well now they're probably going to prioritize 40 time broad jump and short shuttle and three cone right but it doesn't mean that the falcons are only going to draft or only going to target a running back that tests well in all four of those categories it could mean that the guy tests well in three of those boxes and that's acceptable to the falcons because it's like okay if they didn't test particularly great in one of those drills it doesn't sort of completely eliminate them from our situation and for example a player that tested well in in three of those categories was um the last sort of lead running back that the Falcons drafted, which was Tevin Coleman back in 2015. So I I think that's something that you need to be aware of. So looking at those four tests, again, it's not necessarily this, oh, you have to check all four boxes. If you only check three of those boxes, it's fine. Like Tevin Coleman did not have a good broad jump, but he had a very fast 40 time. So it was one of those things where like he's one of those players that was the exception when it came to the broad jump, but no one was questioning Tevin Coleman's explosiveness because anybody that saw him run, knew that he was a very explosive runner. So it's one of those things where you have to use some common sense. You can't just simply plug everything in in an Excel spreadsheet as I have and just basically say, okay, they're going to draft this guy. They're going to draft this guy. You have to sort of marry it with the tape. So it's one of those things. If a guy plays explosive, but then doesn't necessarily test as well as you would assume he would, they're not, the Falcons aren't going to ding that guy nearly as much as, as maybe somebody else who had a similar time. But when you watch the tape, you didn't see him play explosively. So we will turn the conversation to the tight end position because again, on Thursday they worked out. And as you guys are listening to this, you can probably go online, scroll through the numbers and you want that rapid reaction to the tight end testing. And I didn't get to see as much of the on field portion of the testing, but I certainly, um, you know, I got to see the numbers and we'll, we'll get into that conversation um, coming up on today's episode. But, um, you know, it is NFL Combine. And, of course, the Locked On NFL podcast has you covered in all news around the league, not just Combine stuff, but all the latest rumors going around all around the league. Get Matt Williamson, a former NFL scouts, takes on all things. He's joined by host Brian Peacock to talk all things NFL Find the Locked On NFL podcast on your favorite podcast platform, including Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So when we look at the tight end position, 
and we look at sort of the Falcons' past draft picks. Of course, they've only taken two tight ends in the Dan Quinn era, Austin Hooper, Eric Sauber. That's a relatively small sample size. Two guys, it's hard to sort of glean too many sweeping um, observations and patterns from. But it's notable that both Austin Hooper were guys that tested that had exceptionally large hands uh, for their positions, ran good 40 times for their positions, both had good broad jumps for their positions as well. And Hooper, in this case, not necessarily Saubert, also had a really good three cone. And since one assumes that since the Falcons are, you know, seemingly like a 97% chance that Austin Hooper walks, you know, it's probably higher than that, but um, let's just say 97% to, to give some, you know, the Hooper stands out there some a bit of hope. They're going to probably want someone who's more of a pass catcher to sort of fill those shoes. And so I think in that case, similar to what we talked about with Justin Hardy, I think the three cone is going to matter a little bit more in addition to the 40 time in the broad jump where the Falcons are going to value that. So as you guys are listening to this again, the Titans worked out last night on Thursday and the one guy that looking at the numbers that hit the 50th percentile or right around it and 48th, 50th, whatever in all of those categories, 40 yard broad jump, three cone and hand size that I, I saw was Washington's Hunter Bryant. Now, personally, I'm not the world's biggest fan of Hunter Bryant, but I do think it's interesting. And I've mentioned before on Twitter that I do think there's a pretty decent chance that the Falcons are going to like Hunter Bryant. And the main reason I think that coaching connection that Hunter played at Washington under Chris Peterson and Chris Peterson has a long friendship in history with Dirk Cutter, right? Chris Peterson was the, before he went to Washington, he was the head coach at Boise state. And um, he also served as an assistant under Dirk Cutter when Dirk Cutter was the offensive coordinator at Oregon in the nineties. And then Cutter went on after he left Oregon to be the head coach at Boise state. Then sort of it started this pipeline in this sort of coaching tree of Cutter's assistant, was Dan Hawkins. He got promoted once Cutter left to go to Arizona state. Then Peterson finally left Oregon to be Dan Hawkins, offensive coordinator in Boise state. Then when Hawkins left to go to Colorado, Peterson got promoted to be the offensive coordinator. And then I think the current coach at Boise state, Brian Harson or whatever his name is, was served under Peterson. So it's this long history and they're all connected. So Dirk Cutter, Chris Peterson go way, way back. And so I think that connection there from Washington, that firsthand insight from the coaching staff, I think is going to potentially have the Falcons, you know, get a little bit more insight into Hunter Bryant, Hunter Bryant than necessarily they might have in other players. And so it wouldn't completely shock me if, if you're paying attention to the player visits and, and that sort of thing that you don't necessarily see the Falcons connected to Hunter Bryant as much as they are with other players, because I don't think they have to do as much research into Hunter Bryant, but we'll, we'll see how that plays out over the course of the off season. But what's interesting about Hunter Bryant is essentially the way that Washington has used them over the years has been, he's basically a, a wide receiver. He's split out a lot. Now, the thing that people liked about Hunter Bryant was, Oh, you know, he's this, basically he's this wide receiver. He's this great athlete. And I think a lot of people sort of thought he would come in and, and pl- test and, and perform like an Evan Ingram, who's basically an oversized wide receiver for the New York giants. Bryant's not that level of athlete. Bryant's also going to struggle as an inline blocker, but I think you can make an argument at least from the Falcons perspective of why they could be justified in targeting someone like Hunter Bryant as their Austin Hooper replacement. Now Hooper is a much better blocker than Bryant, but um, Hooper spent about 46% of his snaps last season, um, split out or flexed out or in the backfield. So basically only about 54% of Hooper snaps, he was 
had his hand in the dirt as an inline tight end. You go back to 2017, the previous year when Dirk Cutter was calling plays back in Tampa Bay, Cam Brink spent about 58% of his snaps flexed out. Meanwhile, you look, contrast that with OJ Howard that year in his rookie season, 80% of OJ Howard's snaps were spent in line. And then you compare that to Luke Stocker this past year, where about 91% of his snaps were spit, split in line. So clearly there's a pattern here with Dirk Cutter, at least in the last two years where he's called offense, where there's one tight end that is mostly put his hands in the dirt and, and blocks. And there's one tight end that basically functions at least half the time or more than half the time as basically a, a, a wide receiver flexed out and whatnot. And you saw that last year when the Falcons would go to their 11 personnel, which is their three wide receiver sets where typically on third downs more often than not, you would see Hooper almost always flexed out in those situations rather than putting his hand in the dirt. And so I could see the Falcons having someone like a Luke stock, or maybe they try to upgrade that in the off season, but someone to serve as that inline blocker and then bring in someone like a Bryant to basically play on those 11 personnel situations in this case, most likely on third downs. And essentially the, the, the issue with him being, you know, struggling as an inline tight end won't matter as much because the majority of his snaps will come basically him flexed out. And so I think what's going to be interesting when you consider that beyond just talking about Hunter Bryant is what are the ramifications? Does that mean for someone like a Luke Stocker? And I wonder if the Falcons are going to wind up keeping Luke Stocker on the roster. They can create about $2.6 million in cap space by cutting Stocker. And for most of this offseason and really the last several months at the end of the season, I've been assuming that this cut was going to be inevitable, but I'm not so sure right now. I think it's worth noting that when you look at the three games where Jaden Graham sort of filled in for an injured Austin Hooper last year, he had about a 50-50 split in terms of how many snaps he had in line versus flexed out. But then when you look at the rest of the season, Graham, 72% of his snaps were in line as a tight end. And so that's been one of the reasons why I, and I'm sure many others, have been speculating that they think Stocker is going to be a a eventual cap cut because you potentially have a ready-made replacement in Jaden Graham that can sort of fill the void as that inline guy, but also add some more value as a pass catcher than necessarily Luke Stocker is because we know Graham can do some of that split out stuff that you're looking for in terms of your pass catching tight end. Uh, not quite to the level of Austin Hooper, but certainly better. You know, he's a happy middle ground between Stocker and, and Hooper, but you wonder since Again, 97% chance that Hooper's out the door. Does that mean that the Falcons are going to be too afraid to let go of both of their top tight ends and then be in a position where they have to now add two tight ends this offseason, potentially one in free agency and then one later in the draft like Bryant? So I could definitely see a scenario where the Falcons don't cut Stalker, have him and Graham compete to be sort of their inline blocking guy to, to serve the same role that Stalker played last year and OJ Howard played two years ago, and then draft someone like a Hunter Bryant and basically use him on third downs as this sort of flexed out wide receiver rather than actually asking him to be this more of his inline guy. Obviously, this is all speculation at this point, but it is. You know, it's part of the reason why I, I don't spend as much time as maybe other people do obsessing about what the Falcons draft plans are, because, again, I think there are a lot of moving parts that need to be sort of figured out between now and then, particularly in the month of March first. And I think Stocker is going to be one of those potential dominoes that we're going to have to see how the Falcons treat him again for, you know, probably four or five months. I've been assuming, oh, yes, yeah, Stocker is going to get cut at the end of the season. The Falcons need that cap space and they can re easily replace him with Jaden Graham. But that was always with the assumption, oh, they'll find a way to keep Hooper. 
now that Hooper's gone, I don't know. It throws kind of a wrench into that. So we'll see sort of what the Falcons wind up doing. Of course, I will be all along with you guys um, to provide that analysis. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed this week of Lockdown Podcast Network shows or Lockdown Falcons shows. Uh, you know, if you listen to other Lockdown Podcast Network shows, I'm not going to blame you. They're all great. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to consider it cheating. Uh, you know, we have an open relationship here on the line. <laughs> Sorry for making it weird. But um, so uh, all, all I uh, say, all that weird stuff, just to basically say Monday, we're going to have a mock draft Monday slash mailbag. We'll be breaking down a recent mock draft from the draft network on that show and what they have the Falcons projected to pick. And we'll also be answering your listener questions. And of course you can send in those listener questions uh, via Facebook at locked on Falcons via Twitter at locked on Falcons or via email. And that is locked on Falcons at mail.com. But I should note to you guys, I do plan on going out of town Sunday. Um, and so I'll probably wind up recording the Monday episode on Saturday and so if you want to get your questions in, in addition to the questions that have already been sent in, you probably should send them in either Friday or very early Saturday morning before I record that episode. So, um, yeah, I just want to give you a heads up. So, and because of that Monday, we're not going to necessarily be do a, a, a complete combine breakdown or anything like that. We might have to say that till Tuesday. Um, but if you do have combine specific questions, I'll probably punt those to later in the week. So we'll, we'll see about that, but by all means, send in your questions and we will, I will do my best to answer them as many as I can on Monday. And, uh, with that being said, appreciate you guys tuning in. Happy you have a good weekend until then guys. You are locked on Falcons, your daily podcast on the Atlanta Falcons, part of the locked on podcast network, your team every day.